0: How you doing out there? Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Enjoying the summer heat? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Amen. Keep it. Uh, You can have winter. I'll take this any day. But I know some people like winter in the cold and there's deliverance and healing for you this coming Wednesday. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Uh, Let's ask the Lord for his blessing and then let's uh, dive into the word and See how the Lord would minister to us this, this afternoon. Father, we thank, you for, we thank you for this day. Lord, it's a new day. It's a day with rich mercies, with grace, with love, with compassion, with strength. All the good things that come from your throne. And we bless you. We ask you, Lord, as we gather around here now and we listen to your word, open up our ears, soften our hearts, strengthen our feet. And let us do the work that you have called us to do. Be with our pastor and his family as they're away. Bless them in their time. fellowshiping with with Kim's family. And return him to us rested and safe. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. If you weren't here on Wednesday evening. I shared on doing the work of an evangelist. Paul was writing to his true child. Of the faith Timothy. And he was writing. And he was speaking. Writing his last words. Now if you want to think about it. If if you're writing to your child. And you have just the last things you want to say to them. The words are going to be weighty. They're going to be important. You're not going to um, uh, deviate from a course. You're going to put some words in there. To give them direction for life. Something a foundation. Something to hold on to. Something to refer back to. And Paul does this to Timothy. And he gave him four practical truths. He says, be sober in all things. In other words, watch how you live. The world is watching. Watch how you live. There are people looking for the real Jesus. Watch how you live. Now when I say that to you and I point the finger, notice there's three, I want to let you know there's three more pointing back at me. Watch how we live. Where we're off base, confess it to God, confess it to someone else, and get back online. Be sober in all things because the world is watching. Secondly, endure hardship. We live in a world now where we want everything really easy. We don't want our sensibilities to be ruffled. We don't want to deal with pain. We want everything we want. We want it at our fingertips and we want it now. And that's not the way it really works. That's not life. Life is hard, but God is good Life will throw things at you that unexpectedly that you were not prepared for. But, God, but Paul writing to Timothy says endure hardship. If you think things are getting are hard now. Get ready things are going to get harder. The economy is not always going to be as robust as it is now. It will fall. Things will get harder. As we see the temperature of the world and how it feels towards Christianity, it'll get harder. There are people in the Middle East and other places and in China suffering way harder than we are. But they're enduring hardship for the name of Jesus. We have an example, and we are called by, by the word and by Paul to endure hardship. Secondly, a uh, thirdly, I'm sorry, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel. We get so caught up in our own lives, and I, I do too, where we go, we go, we get up, we we have whatever it is we have, we out the door, we're on our way to work, we come home, we spend time with our family, we're sitting in front of the TV whatever, then we pack up our things, we go to bed, and we start the day all over again, and we isolate ourselves from a hurting world. And Paul is saying, Listen, do the work of an evangelist. It's work, but where are to do it. And lastly, he says, fulfill your ministry what he's saying here is is listen what draws your what where is your heart drawn to when it's when it pertains to serving in the kingdom of god where is your heart drawn to when it when it pertains to serving in the local church are you attracted to young people do you want to serve in the youth ministry are you attracted to children would you like to be a part of the children's ministry are you attracted to you know serving in in some other capacity whether it's ushering or a homeless ministry or out on the bridge on a Saturday um sharing the gospel where are you attracted where is something in you that says this is what I should be doing and I should be doing it for the Lord and I should be fulfilling my ministry I want to continue to focus on Paul's instruction to Timothy on doing the work of an evangelist. Uh, Friday, Candy texts me and says, "Uh, what's your message? I'm like, "I I don't know. Yesterday, my wife says to me, what are you speaking on? I'm like, I don't know. And this was just yesterday morning. And I'm driving here and I get to the circle and I see the cherubim floating over the Dunkin' Donuts shop. Hallelujah, <laughs> And it comes to me. Do the work of an evangelist part two. What I, wanted to, what I wanted to share in scripture on Wednesday, the Lord held back for me to share today on Sunday. And that is doing the work of an evangelist part two. We're going to look at the greatest evangelist we have ever known. And that is Jesus Christ. And how he set the example for us to do the work of the ministry, to do the work of an evangelist. And he used, and what a great example he used, was a woman at the well. So if you will turn with me, we're going to be focusing on John chapter 4. But before we begin to read it, I want to let you know that God's heart has always been towards evangelism. Think about it. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. God's heart is evangelism. God's heart is to reach the world. And so if it's the heart of God to to reach the lost, to reach people, to reach the world, it should be our heart as well. Amen? Amen. See, evangelism is nothing new. Noah was the first evangelist when God says, I'm going to send rain and it's going to rain for 40 days. I need you to build an ark. And so when the neighbors saw him building the ark, and the people saw him building the ark, and they said, What are you building that for? He says, Well, it's going to rain. And they says, Well, what's rain? God's going to send rain on the earth. We need to get prepared. You need to get right with God. You need to get in the boat. And the people laughed. And then the rains came. See, sometimes evangelism isn't successful, it's about obedience. It's about speaking the word of God. It's about speaking even though you may not reap a harvest. It's still being obedient to God. Moses is sent to the city when Moses was out in the wilderness. Moses growing up in the city, growing up in the palace, growing up on the Pharaoh's teaching, is is sent away because of his own reckless behavior and killing an Egyptian. And he's comfortable now in in, uh, shepherding sheep But he has an encounter with God and God sends him back. And and Moses now begins to tell God, I can't do it. I stutter. I don't want to do it. I'm not made for this. And yet God commands him to go and he obeys and goes and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And we know the story. It wasn't received. And what happened? God overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. In the New Testament, Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus during the persecution, is sent to a road. And on this road, he meets an Ethiopian official who is driving in a chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit says, run up alongside the chariot. And he asked him, what's he doing? And the man says, oh, well, I'm reading this and I don't understand. He said, well, what is it? He says, is, is, the, is the writer talking about himself or somebody else? He says, oh, he's talking about somebody else. Let me tell you who he's talking about. And he not only does the man, because his, his heart is now right, he's just come from worshiping the Lord in Jerusalem and he's seeking. He, the Lord sent him to a seeker. He receives the Lord. He gets baptized and he goes on his way. We never hear about the Ethiopian again, but we know we'll see him one day. See, at times, the work of an evangelist is not about results. It's always about obedience. You and I, we have our marching orders. Before Jesus ascended, he, he, he spoke to his disciples and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. That's the great commission. And so we have a responsibility to God to preach the gospel. Now, what does an evangelist look like? Well, if you turn on the TV and you you can see that there's, Preaching to large crowds. They have big ministries. In there. Is that the work of an evangelist? Yes and no. It is their work. But it's not our work. We have no idea what they went through. To get to the place where they are at. We don't know the demons they face. We don't know the discipline that God put them through. We don't know the grinding that God did put them through. The brokenness in order to raise them up. We don't know. Not, we know not the sacrifices. Nor do we know the faith that they had to do the things that they're doing now. But they're doing their job, but we have ours. And ours is to do the work of an evangelist. Well, what does it look like? Well, let's turn and let's begin to read John chapter 4. And then we'll we'll get into the five principles of doing the work of an evangelist. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So, to, so he, he came to, to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Jacob and Joseph and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being wearied from his journey was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You do, are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you who gave us the well and drank of it himself, his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of, of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When when he comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I Who speak to you am He. At this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this cause, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I say to you, reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because the words of the woman who testified, he told me all things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to, to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. So there's amazing things going on here. And like I said, um, I was, this was something I wanted to share on Wednesday. God held it back and, and gave it for such a time as this. And I want to begin to share with you some principles that I received out of this word. And the principle that I received is be willing to go where others will not. See, we love our comfort zone. That's why it's called the comfort zone. It's comfortable. But God sometimes wants to challenge us to step outside our comfort and to do the work of an evangelist and to go where others will not. See, Jesus had to go to Samaria. What does that mean? Samaria lies directly between Jerusalem and Galilee. In order to make the shortest possible trip, a person could simply pass through Samaritan territory on the way from the city. However, the Samaritans were loathed by most Jews. Racism. Hatred for a people that were different than the Jews. A more common travel route would have been to cross the Jordan River into Perea, avoiding contact with the despised tribe. And yet, this verse says Jesus had to pass through this territory. Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile, both ethnically, sorry, just got to go with it, right? And religiously. So they were ethnically, and religiously, half and half. And they were despised. This meant that this made them unclean. They were hated outcasts in the eyes of a common Israelite. Why would Jesus be obligated to go through this region if there were, no, if there were other options? In short, Jesus is not only submissive to God's timing, but also to his will. See, Jesus is our forerunner. He set the example. Not only did he set the example. But when he rose again. And he says to his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. For the promised Holy Spirit. He said to the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria. And all the other parts of the world. See now Jesus led the way. If Jesus wouldn't have gone into Samaria. And been an example to those who looked at people that were different than him and avoided them altogether and went around and said it to go through. Jesus set the example and broke the stereotype. He went through to break the back to break the prejudices, to break the racism of his day. Now look, we, we live in a time now where where it's getting crazy. Real crazy, the lines are drawn, and you 're either on one side or the other and in some places, people will not have friends with you if you 're of a certain political affiliation that 's crazy in other words, you can 't believe different than somebody else you 're a Samaritan or they're a Samaritan see where where to understand politics where to um you know, not put, put our heads in the sand and things like that. But politics does not save people. It divides people. And see, Jesus is the great unifier. Jesus is the great. He's the one who heals the divide. So we have to be willing to go places where others will not. Think about Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Oh, no. No. So Jonah gets on a boat. And then Jonah goes to sleep during a great storm. I like Jonah. He can sleep in the midst of a storm. And they come and they wake him up and say, "Oh, uh, you know, pray to your God. We're about to perish. And they go up and, and they begin to throw lots. And, I, I you know, I don't know if it's dice or bones or chicken wings or something, but they threw lots. And they landed at the feet of, of Jonah. And he says to them, yeah, it's, it's me. I'm running away from God. Throw me over and, um, and the storm will cease. And now they throw him over and this great fish swallows him whole. All right. And then we read the story and he's in the fish belly. Not just in the fish. He's in the belly of a fish for three days. Now think about this. What's in your belly? Acid that breaks down food. All righty. So he's in the smelly belly. I'm sure it had not, it could not have been pleasant. Gee, God, you, you will disobey God. He does not make it easy. Right? Come on, how many times? Yeah, God, I'm not going to do that. Okay, don't do it. <laughs> right? And it gets, it gets hot. It gets unpleasant. You lose your joy. You lose your peace. You lose your sleep. You lose, uh, okay, God, I'm going a- Right? It's the same thing happening here. He's in the belly of a fish. He's being his skin is being made white or maybe even gray by the secretions of this fish's stomach. Then he begin Now it says he was in there 3 days. I would have been in there for 3 minutes and obeyed God. Maybe 3 seconds. Talk about stubborn. 3 days. It says, then he prayed. Then you prayed? (laughs) Wow. So then he prayed. And by some miracle, the fish vomits, vomits. Now think about this. He's going to vomit you out. So everything that was in his stomach is now attached to you. And you hit the sand. (laughs) Then you get up. And you walk into the city, secreting this stuff, and you say, repent, for God's going to bring destruction in 40 days. You think they would listen? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Doing the work. Sometimes it's going where you don't want to go. But who else is going to go bring the gospel if we won't? Look at the world now. It's okay to kill a baby outside the womb. Outside. All right, it was, it was wrong on the inside. Now it's even, it's even crazier on the outside. Crazy. Men and women have been men and women for eons. And now even the identity of a man and a woman are being attacked. The labels that they put on the church to minimize the church, to push the church into a corner and make it quiet. And then the church stands there and says, okay, we'll be quiet. We don't want to offend. And the world dies. Because the church needs to pick up the mantle of what it is to do the work of an evangelist. So doing the work of an evangelist requires us to take a path God chooses for us and not our own path. Principle number two, be on the lookout for divine appointments. See, it's amazing when we think about this, when we read this, okay, so Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I don't know how far Samaria was from Galilee, but it wasn't around the corner. And there was no taxi, there was no Uber, it didn't say he rode a chariot. He walked. And it says that he got there about the sixth hour. Which is noon. So he walked in the heat of the day. And he gets there. This is Jesus. And he's tired. I, you know he probably said to disciples. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to sit here. You guys go on. You know you go down to. You, you go to the store. I'm beat. Can you imagine disciples like. This is the guy that walked on water. This is the guy that said to the storm, "Be still." He's tired? All right, rest. We'll we'll go we'll go we'll go shopping. Be open and be on the lookout for a divine appointment. See, we've got to let God set our agenda. We get so insulated in our own little lives, we wake up at a certain time, and we have our certain ritual, whether it's you, you start your devotions, or you know whatever it is, you, you throw cold water, you, however you start. You know, you have your coffee, or you have your, your Pepsi, or Coke, whatever it is. I'm not a big coffee drinker, so I need my caffeine in the morning as well. How, you know, okay, something to get you going. And then, oh, look, it's time for work. Get in the car. Maybe you put on the new... You know what I'm saying? We have our isolated. Then we get to work. We do. We come home. Spend time with the family. We eat. We watch a little TV. We go to bed. And we start it all over again the next day. Same thing. Over and over and over. And we're isolated. And we never let God set our agenda. And because we don't let God set our agenda, we close ourselves off to God... And we're living our own life. And the Bible says, he who lives his own life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. So we wonder sometimes, my life has no purpose. Well, have you asked God to use you so that you can find purpose for why he saved you? So we must allow God to set our agenda. Begin to ask God for divine appointments. We have not because we've asked not divine appointments. In July, we're still in July, right? Well, the beginning of this month. We exciting Isabella's birthday is coming, and and it's the Fourth of July, and and um and we uh at our house, we say, you know, I remember we were discussing, and she said, let's buy fireworks. Oh, I got like a kid. (laughs) Oh, because, listen, I'm a Brooklyn boy. I grew up in Brooklyn in the 70s and the 80s. Fourth of July in my neighborhood was like a war zone. They used to have to, right? They used to have to reroute the city buses not to go down the avenue because there were fires this big on street corners throwing crates and crates of fireworks, shooting bottle rackets and um, uh, Roman candles at one another, throwing M80s and blockbusters and mortars going up it was great (laughs) it was awesome there would be it was you know it was a party DJs and you know when you were little and you see the big kids having a great time July 5th was like Christmas you would get up in the morning and the whole neighborhood smelled like (laughs) gunpowder no it was awesome you know, it, you know, it's like, it, you, you just got excited. You'd eat your breakfast, you'd get on your bike, and you would go to the corner, and there would be these mounds of un uh, on whatever, firecrackers. And you'd have this brown bag, and you, would be, you and your friends would be digging through, looking for the firecrackers that didn't go off. And you would put them in your bag. Then sometime that, later that evening, you would unroll those firecrackers and put the gunpowder on the floor. Then you would light it. Now remember, you're a little boy. Gunpowder. You come out, you look like a candidate for the Jerry Lewis telethon. It was awesome, it was fun. And so when, when Jill said, let's get fireworks, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of rerouting the bus routes. And then she says we're going to you know we'll have a barbecue we'll have steak and potatoes I'm like wow, Did we hit the lottery?" <laughs> but we we went out and we went out so we said you know there's a tent over here on Route 55 that we can get we'll get some fireworks okay so I pull in there and I walk in and the guy goes "Uncle Mike!" <laughs> yes! It was a boy that used to go to church here, and I taught him in the Joyful Noise Club when I did children's ministry 20 years ago. I was the kid's godfather. Oh, my son. <laughs> you broke my heart when you left church. Come back. All's forgiven. No, but it was like, I was, so, well, look at you. You look just like you. You're big. My, He's a monster. Five, like two, something. He's like a football player. I was like, Look at you. You look just like your dad. Oh, I missed you. And I, and I know he's made some bad choices. Like, who hasn't in their early 20s, teens, and 20s? Who hasn't made bad choices? So he made some bad choices. I said, So what? God loves you. He while you come back to church, get restored, find your purpose, let God fill you, and do what He's asked you to do. I remember you standing on, used to stand on your stoop and call out to people. It's Sunday, time to go to church. Sounds like a little boy was an evangelist, right? But the enemy come to steal it. Well, I'm telling you now, the enemy's not going to win in this young man's life. God's will will prevail. I hear he was here a few weeks ago. If you're taking notes, write down the name Eliada, Nobodi. Don't ask me to spell Nobodi, just spell Nobody and put an I instead of a Y and make it Nobodi, okay? But pray for him. Pray for him. And let's see God's will be fulfilled in this young man's life. He's got a destiny. And it's not to live in futility or wondering. It's to live out the purpose of God for his generation. I believe that for this young man. So doing the work of evangelist is being available to God at any given moment. See, we got to have eyes to see the hurts in other people. we got to be able to. I remember I was working as a substitute teacher in Millbrook. And I was working in the cafeteria during the lunchtime. And I turned around and I looked at the fourth grade teacher. And I guess that must be a hard job anyway. But she looked like, it was just like her face was downcare, so Her Her body language, she was beaten up. And I said, oh God, I pray that you would send someone to encourage this woman. What about you? <laughs> You're right there. Turn around. Say something to her. Okay. Um, hey, you're a good teacher. And you got a hard job. But I want to let you know, you've sacrificed and you've done it. You should be proud of yourself for, what, for the things that you've accomplished. And you're good to these kids. And you're a good teacher. So smile. And I want to let you know, I see you and I appreciate you. Wow. You would have thought she won the lottery. Her face was no longer downcast. It was bright. It was lit up. And you know, why? Just because people need to hear some encouraging words. Now, that wasn't the place that I could have shared the gospel with her. But still, you make an impact. Amen? Amen. Doing the work of an evangelist. Have eyes that scan across and see the hurts in other people. Number three. Have something to give. Have something to say. See, it's, 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 it really, it's when you get to the point when you know you, God wants you to speak to somebody and you say, well, God, give me the words. God's like, I'm not going to give you the words till you get over and then open your mouth. It's till you get to that place and begin to talk, then I'll fill your mouth. It's a walk of obedience and it's a walk of faith. And sometimes those first couple of steps, especially when you don't know the person, that's walking on water. It's uncharted territory. But have something to say. Have something to give. Listen. Their conversation started over water. Give me something to drink. And then it got a little heavier. Well, you're a Jew. Okay. Now there was a little bit of racism going on here. Do you understand? it's not. It's just not new. Man has always had the affliction of sin in his heart. And this woman tried to minimize Jesus just like the people today try to minimize you and me and call us all sorts of names when we're none of the things above. So here he's at the well and they're talking, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. But you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. but he had something to give her. He said, well, if you knew who you were talking to, and not in an arrogant ways, but if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Well, wait a minute, they're still talking about water. See, he didn't get offended that that she called him a Jew. What are you doing in Samaria are you supposed to go around it what are you doing here this is our well Jacob built it we, he gave it to his sons and he gave you know and and, and he, his sons Jacob drank from it uh, blah, blah, blah. his sons drank from it his cattle drank from it what are you doing here he didn't get offended oh you offend no he says listen if you had known who you're speaking to and you if you would have asked him for a drink he would have given you living water living water they still did her interest is peaked now he's drawn her in have something fresh to say now how do you get something fresh to say you have to have a daily devotion if you don't show up to god daily then you have nothing to give to somebody else i can't give stale bread to a hurting world it doesn't heal it doesn't do anything what God did yesterday is no relevance of what God wants to do today. And God wants to do something today and use you today to touch the life of somebody today to get myself. But the only way to do it is to get into His presence, is to get into His Word, is to worship, is to have that anointing be upon you. And now you're walking in strength, you're walking in joy, you're walking in the, in the, in, in the presence of God. You've got something to give, and it's fresh. You don't know what it is because maybe God hasn't revealed it to you. But when you start to step out, all of a sudden he reveals it to you. You've got to have fresh bread. You've got to have fresh manna. You've got to have something to give to a hurting world. See, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will be in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. You have something to give that no one else in the world can give. Not CNN, not Fox News, not the president, not Congress. No one else has something that you have to give. And that's Jesus. And that's the greatest gift of all. And you have it. Right? Amen. Amen. Politics doesn 't save Jesus saves politics divides now again i 'll say it we need to know what 's going on in politics, but it needs not be our God. So doing the work of an evangelist is soaking in his word and basking in his presence you know i 'm working now in uh with, in the In the high school in Millbrook, and I'm doing the custodial work and stripping floors, and it's hot and it's this and that. And I have a helper. And before I start the day, because remember, you have to let your light shine before I pray, thank you for this day, Lord. Bless this day. Now, I'm doing it, and and I'm I'm not doing it to show off, but I'm trying to do it to let the light shine. I don't know what to say yet, but we got to let our light shine. Thank you, Lord. Bless our hands. Bless, the, bless, the, bless our work. Be with us, Lord. Give us strength in this heat to do your work. And thank you, Lord, for, for Janet, for her family. Thank you for this time. Amen. I know she's a little uncomfortable. Exactly. Let your light shine in the darkness. Why? Because the darkness doesn't understand it. Yes. You never know. What can be birthed out of that situation? Next. Don't be afraid of awkward situations. Now they're talking about water, right? You're living water, this and that, sir. Give it to me. I, I won't have to come here anymore. Now understand what was. Let's talk about this for a moment. First of all, it says that Jesus sat down at the side of the well, uh, at the well, and it was the sixth hour. Now, we would look, okay, it's 6 o'clock. It's six, it? But that's not the time it was. It was actually high noon. Who draws water in the heat of the day? You don't. You go early when the sun is just about up so you have enough daylight. So the water is cool. You stand in line. You wait your turn. Or you go in the evening when the sun is set and it's cooled it down again. She goes at high noon because nobody's there. Remember, she has had five husbands. There's a lot of gossip around this woman. There's a lot of finger pointing. Don't be like her. Look at her. She's on to number six. Do you understand the shame, the guilt that this woman has been through, how she's been beat up, used, and, and, you know, she's on five, she's, Five men have, have, had, have been with her and have discarded her. She's discarded. This is the woman that comes to Jesus. And she says, Let me. can I get some of this living water so I don't have to come here anymore and draw water? And he says, go call your husband. Uh, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You've had five and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Way to go, Jesus! Here's the thing. He wasn't looking to offend her. He was getting to the heart of the matter. See, we want to play nice. Nice doesn't get people saved. Men, you remember when you were dating? Remember? The last thing you wanted to hear a woman say to you is, You're nice. You're so nice. That deflates your ego. You don't wanna be nice. You wanna be macho macho man. I wanna be a macho. You wanna be a macho man? You wanna be you wanna be rough and gruff. You wanna be a man. You don't wanna be nice. You don't wanna be known as nice listen, you know, we're going to get a nice house and we're going to have a nice family and uh, I'll I'll get a nice job and we'll go on nice vacations and then we'll have a nice retirement and then you give me a nice funeral and then you talk, say nice things about me and then that's it. You lived a nice life and you didn't touch a soul because nice doesn't move anybody. It's just nice. Jesus wasn't Nice. See, the world wants the church to play nice. Don't call sin, sin. Don't call out my sin. Oh, you offend. You're you're a hate monger. No, I'm a love monger. See, God loves you and I love you. And the thing that's hurting you is the thing that you're clinging to, that you're defending, that is actually going to destroy your life. I'm here to love you, not judge you, condemn you. That's what's going on here. How can, when he says to her, you know, hey, um, you know, uh, it's amazing. Don't be afraid of awkward situation. See, the spirit that's at work now in the world is called, is a spirit of fear. And it wants to be placed on the church, and its name is called political correctness. Don't say this. Don't say that. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Can't use this word. Can't use that word. can't. You have to be bold. You have to be able to speak to someone in love and yet speak to this situation. That's what Jesus did. He spoke to us to call your husband. I don't have a husband, right? You've had five. Now the way he had to say it, it didn't minimize the woman or draw, drive her away. He went into her. You have five. He probably saw the pain in her eyes. He probably saw the parts, the body posture, this woman had coming up the hill to draw water. See, when, when we get around people and their lives are messed up and they begin to tell us how, how messed up their lives are, the, the natural reaction is to want to pull away. But they see that and that's rejection. You're rejecting me. You're condemning me. See, what we have to do is we have to move in closer. We got to move in closer. Tell me more. Let me hear it. I may not understand it, but I may have an answer let me hear your story. See, that's what happened here with Jesus. Now the woman became uncomfortable and she really really quickly wanted to get into religious speak. See, what happened And she took it and said, well, you know, you, got, you Jews say that we, you know, we have to worship, uh, uh, we worship on this mountain, but you Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem. What happened? She got uncomfortable for a second there and tried to turn the tables on Jesus, but Jesus turned it back around. And says, no woman, uh, the, a time is coming when you, w- you're not going to worship in Jerusalem nor on this mountain. For God is seeking different people and you're one of them. True worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. Don't be afraid of awkward situations. Hurting people are going to tell you things that can, that can shake you. The truth hurts. And see, the truth hurts, but it also heals. It just needs time. It just needs a little time to hurt. And then what happens is it heals and it changes lives. We need not be afraid to speak the truth, even if it hurts. Remember, though, we have to do it out of love. Not out of pride, not out of arrogance, not out of condensation. Not not condensation. I'm not talking water here. (laughs) Condemnation. I'm sweating up here. got to look. But do you understand what I'm saying? It has to be in love. Because if you're going to be used to do the work of an evangelist, it's really out of love. And it's out of compassion for a hurting, broken world. So when it comes to a place of awkwardness, do the work of an evangelist means dealing with our own fears and our own insecurities. See, the reason why it gets uncomfortable around somebody whose life is, I get, uh, it's uncomfortable. It's my own insecurities. It's my own fears. What do I do now? How do I handle this? This is too much me. It's too big. Wow, this person's really messed up. We have to not, we have to let let go of our own insecurities, our own fears. And we have to begin to focus on their hurts, their insecurities, their fears, not ours. God will deal with ours. Deal with theirs through God and through love. Amen? Amen. So, don't be afraid of awkward situations. Lastly, well, almost lastly, we're coming in for a landing. Stand firm on what you believe. See, you have to have some sort of foundational theology. See, when people say, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? Why not stay home and... Rest on a Sunday. Today, rest. Why not let the Pillow and Sister Sheets and Mother Mattress be your church? And the comfort of the comforter. Jesus said he'd send another comforter. This one's nice. We come to church to be in the presence of God, but we come to church to learn theology. We come to church to learn so that we can turn around and teach. It's really that simple. I came, I've come to learn. I've come to learn what I need to hear. And then I need to receive it so that I can what? Teach it. Teach it. Amen. So I, we come to church. First of all, um, rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Have the Lord minister to us. Have some teaching come from the, from the pulpit. Learn and turn around. And be ready to teach it to whomever God would send us to. So we have to have a firm foundation. Why do you believe what you believe? What about Allah? What about Buddha? I wouldn't follow somebody that needs a a slim fast diet anyway. I mean that guy just looks like. What about the Jehovah's Witness? What about the pygmies in New Guinea? Papa New Guinea. What about them? I'm not in Papua New Guinea. I'm here with you. Well, what about the babies? What about, no what about. What about you? What about your hurts? Have a firm foundation. And when they attack the character of God, give them the character of God that you know. Have a firm foundation. God is love. Well, a loving God won't send people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. He sent his son Jesus Christ to give you eternal life so that you would not go to hell. He left the choice up to you, not him. You're making the choice. Well, a loving God wouldn't do it. No, but there's some things called love and justice. And they run hand in hand. Right now is love. But if you reject love, what's left is justice. He sent his son to die for you. His son brutally died for you. The fact that you reject him, what's left is justice. People don't want to hear that. You have to have a firm foundation so that when people bombard you with questions and people bombard you with theology, you can teach lovingly, gently, kindly. Not have to defend the gospel. Present the gospel. And understand, they may not receive. But then again, they may. But you may not be the agent that sees it to its completion. Amen? Have a firm foundation. Know what you believe to the very core of your being. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What's the word? What's What you believe? Why the church is on there? What about this? What about that? Have a firm foundation. And if you don't know something, say, "Uh, listen, I don't know. Don't be like a car salesman. And come up with, and come up with an answer. Hey, what's this thing? Oh, that's the flux capacitor. How many gigawatts? One hundred twenty-one gigawatts, and you can travel through time. You know, just don't be like. Uh, it's okay to say I-, I don't know, but I'll tell you what. Give me a few days. Let me look it up. Let me find it and I'll answer your question so I can give you an honest answer. That's real and people will respect that. You know, I, I, don't, we can't be a, knowing, you know, a know-it-all. I, it's okay to say and be vulnerable and say, I, I don't know. That's a good question. Thank you for challenging me. Let me get you an answer and I'll bring it back to you. Amen? Amen. So know what you know and what you believe. And if you don't know it, don't be insecure or don't, don't fake it. Just say, it be real. I don't know. That's a good question. Thank you for the challenge. Let me find out what it is. Know your eternal destiny. Let me tell you something. We all have bad days. And sometimes it's bad to have a bad day, especially when you're married. Because then it just seems to spill out onto others. We all have bad days. We all have bad attitudes. We all have but Jesus said, In this world you'll have trouble, but be of good courage. I've overcome the world, not you. So it's okay to have a bad day. It's not God's not casting you out of heaven for one bad day. Two, maybe. <laughs> but you're not gonna be your, your salvation is secure. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. We stand right before God because we've accepted Jesus. Know your eternal destiny. And know this, when it says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because people say, well, there's many roads to to heaven. No, there's not. Well, you're narrow-minded. No, I'm on the narrow road. You're on the wide road. I'm trying to bring you from your narrow-mindedness to a place of truth. Know your eternal destiny. Know know the word. Listen in in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. But at the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So doing the work of an evangelist means you are rock solid in what you know to be true. And you're not swayed by the opinions of others. Lastly, and this is amazing, and I like this, because the disciples showed up, and they begin to go, who's this? Why is he talking to this woman? What's going on? What, what, what's happening here? Uh, you know. And then the woman leaves her water pot. She leaves what she came for because she got what she wasn't expecting, and she's leaving more full than she had ever been in her whole life. She discarded it. I don't need you anymore. I'm not thirsty anymore. I don't know why I'm not thirsty. But for some reason, I'm full. I'm going to go back and tell those people what just happened. A woman who had had five husbands And living with someone else. This woman is now being used by God. To turn a whole town around. And bring them to the presence of Jesus. See we look at people. And we think their lives are messed up. That God can't use them. God uses broken things. To turn the lives of people around. We have to be willing to speak to somebody and not judge them and say, well, you know, this person's life is really messed up. How can God use this person? One word from the Lord, one word of encouragement, something that they receive, that person will get so excited, they can't help but tell other people. Do you remember when you first got saved and you were a mess? And people tell you about Jesus and you'd be like, ah, man, I don't want to hear about that religious stuff. Get that religious stuff away from me. I remember being 19 years old, thinking I had it together, and I'm on, the, I'm on the subway train and a complete stranger. Now this is New York City. You have boundaries. You don't give eye contact in New York City. What are you looking at? Right? You. You're, you know, so I'm there a, you know, 19 year old, whatever, you know, arrogant, blah, 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 kind of guy. And this person says, hey, can I talk to you for a moment? Yeah. Jesus loves you. Yeah, I know that. I went, went to Catholic school. I know that. Well, I didn't go to Catholic school. I went to catechism. I know that. Oh, God loves you. I know that. Oh, Jesus sent his son to die for you. I know that. 19 year old know it all. God wants you to give him your life. I didn't know that. He wants you to accept Jesus right now. I'm not ready. Thank you very much. Now, this person went away kind of sad, feeling like they failed God. They didn't fail God. It just, it was a seed planted because I would always wonder. There would be times when I was out doing, doing things and I would be wondering, why did that guy come talk to me about God? See, there was a seed planted and then the Holy Spirit would kind of water that seed and speak to your mind. And you'd be like, what about that guy? Listen, I was used to go in clubs. And there would be people come to me on the dance floor to want to tell me about Jesus. That's the last place I want to hear about Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> because people were willing to go where God would send them. All right? And, you know, and I remember... I would now I would walk into uh, the club and the conviction of the Holy Spirit would sit on me and I'd be sitting on the couch out, almost in the foyer crying. My friends would come up to me, what's the matter? I don't know. <laughs> Sin. <laughs> I'm a sinner. <laughs> I got to a place where I say, you guys got to go out without me. <laughs> I'm a killjoy. Literally, the conviction of the, I would, wait, all right, well, let's not go to this club, let's go to this club, maybe God won't be there. you can't come out with us anymore I know you gotta stop going to church no I gotta go to more church God will hunt you down what started it some man coming up to me on a train telling me about Jesus he started the ball rolling a woman uh, at a pizzeria. I was working at a pizzeria and the, the owner, I, I thought was a drug addict, and I was like this is going to be a great place to work. <laughs> the guy got saved two weeks before. <laughs> I walk in he's reading the Bible. <laughs> and then all my friends are hanging out and his mother-in-law. An evangelist saying that it's preaching the gospel, everybody leaves. Who's left? (sighs) Want to come to Bible study? No. Want to come to Bible study? No. Want to come to Bible study? Okay. Want to accept Jesus? All right, but I'm, and this was true, I'll accept Jesus, but he's got to join me. I'm not joining him. Jesus, like, yeah, okay, no problem. Go to a club. Doing the work of an evangelist, you don't get to see sometimes the fruit of it. But your obedience saves a person from hell. Amen? Amen? Don't be afraid to be rejected. Don't even be afraid if people kind of I'm, I'm, I'm mean to you. I mean, come on, they were mean to Jesus. He's up on the cross hanging there there. Come on down! He's stripped naked in front of his mother. Hanging on a cross, been beaten. They're spitting at him as he's carrying the cross. How rejected can he be? What does he say? Forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. All love. All love. Don't be afraid when people reject you. They're not rejecting you. They're setting up a defense, an offense. The, The word of God cuts. It hurts. It, 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 all of a sudden, you bring Jesus into the picture and all of the sin is revealed. Not to you, to them. So what's their defense? To do just like the woman did. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. Right away, you got religious. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, the thing is that I, I hear you, you. You could be angry at me, but listen. Even you may be angry at God, but he loves you. and He's trying to reach you. Have a good day. Leave them with love even though they leave you with anger. Amen? Amen. So the conclusion is this one woman, this one woman. Now Jesus, he didn't heal her or talk about himself and the, and the ministry and the things that he'd done or church and you need to do this, you need to do that. No, he just talked about water and how he can fill her and he changed her life and she turned around and, and she brought people and, they, and he, she changed the life of a town because he just gave her Not what she thought she needed, but what she really needed. Amen. God bless you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. (laughs) Father, the work of an evangelist is a blessing. But Lord, we get so caught up in our own lives. Lord, I ask forgiveness for myself. Even as I ask forgiveness for my brothers and sisters. We've been so consumed in the daily living that we forgot what it is to live daily for you. Bring us back, God. Give us a compassion and a heart for those that hurt, those that are lost, those that are broken, those that need to hear. Lord, Paul said to do the work in an evangelist. Lord, I pray that you would give us divine appointments this week to share the gospel. Let's not just... Play church. Let's be church. God help us. Bless your people. Comfort them. Be with them. Anoint them. In Jesus' name. Amen.